Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Finish the statement for me. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. How many of you, you're like me, I've I've said if that statement is true, then it's my prayer that our five apples fall closer to their mother's tree than my tree. Anybody can relate with that? I, I, my, my tree had some uh, rotten fruit on it at times. My wife had a pretty healthy tree, and I hope that ours fall closer to their mother's tree. How many of you, you can see ways, either in yourself or if you're married and your spouse, ways that you're turning into your parents, different ways? Anybody here? Ways that you're, has anything happened throughout the week and you say, man, Did that just come out of my mouth? My mom's not around, right? My dad's not around. That's something they did. That's something they said. Probably one of my favorite ad campaigns of recent history is the progressive insurance ad campaign with Dr. Rick. Any of you seen this? You know what I'm talking about? And Dr. Rick, he is doing his best. He says when you become a new homeowner, you naturally start to turn into your parents. And he's doing his best to help those of us that are turning into our parents. In fact, here's one of the videos for you to see one of these commercials. We need to silence our phone. Who knows where that button is? I don't have silent. Everyone does, right up here. It happens to all of us. We buy a new home and we turn into our parents. What I do is help new homeowners overcome this. Was that an adjustable spanner? Good choice, Steve. Okay, don't forget, you're not assisting him. You hired him. You have nowhere to sit. You have too many. Who else reads books about submarines? My dad. Yeah. Oh, those are... Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Look at that. Anybody in here? Anybody in here have too many pillows on, their, on one of their couches or a bed at home? All right. This is just our house where I have to move 18 pillows to sit down. And uh, th- that one, all of them are funny because literally every one of them has something my kids make fun of me. Like, that's dad right there. The parking lot one where they're, they're counting the stalls. Can you imagine how much money they're bringing in at the stadium through parking? And like whatever, all of these commercials. And that one there, he said, who else reads books about submarines? He said, my dad. I literally just finished reading a book about submarines when, that fir- when I first saw that commercial. But the reality is, here's the truth of the matter, and the reason that that, that, that ad campaign is so funny, and, and, and by the way, if you are, want a good laugh this afternoon, just go home and jump on YouTube and type in Dr. Rick and watch that for about 10 minutes. It's a good time. But why they're so funny is because they're so true. The reality is the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and here's the truth. The influence of our parents greatly shapes us in every way, good bad and ugly. There are no perfect parents. We all have made faults and failures, all, our, all of our parents have, and if we have children, we have with our children. But the reality is that, that the influence of our parents does greatly shape us. Nature and nurture, I think there's some biological things to that, and then obviously some environmental things to that as you're around somebody that has that much time and influence in you. And this morning I want to bring a message, and I'll seek to be a little shorter than I normally am. I understand it's a little different service, and we we started a little later with all of the children's things. But I want to bring a message entitled, How's Your Family Tree Looking? 
I'm speaking both biological, if you have children or grandchildren, if specifically as we just had BBS and we have many parents in here that are right in the heart, as my wife and I are, of raising children in our homes, those precious eternal souls, it's, it's, it's specifically directed to that group, but it's for all of us. And yes, biological, but also not just biological, but spiritual. You know, the Bible says in Paul, Paul had no biological children, but he had an amazing family tree, spiritually speaking. And he told Timothy in in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, he said, the things, Timothy, that you've heard of me, the same you should commit to faithful men, that they'll be able to teach others also. Paul was saying, I have no biological family tree, I have no living children that will carry on my name, but, but Timothy, I've invested in you, and the way it's supposed to work is then you're supposed to invest in others, and the things I've taught you about the gospel, you're supposed to teach others that they'll teach others. You should have grandchildren and great grandchildren in your spiritual family tree. And so I want us to apply it in both ways today. How is our biological family tree doing, and how is our spiritual family tree doing? With the decisions that you and I are making today and the direction we are leading our family, what will your family tree look like two, three, or four generations from now? What priority will God have if you continue down in the same direction that you're heading? How important will Scripture be in a generation or two in your family? If your children, this is a sobering thought for me, if your children follow your example, spiritually speaking, what will your grandchildren know of Christ? For those that are guests this morning, we've been walking through the first book of the Bible, Genesis, a foundational book on Sunday mornings. We're going verse by verse, and we've seen the biblical account of creation. We've seen the first marriage. We've seen the first children. We've seen the first sin. We've seen last week the first murder as Cain murdered his brother Abel, Adam and Eve's um, sons, two sons. And this morning in our study, we come. It's interesting where God has us. I knew we'd have a good number of guests here today, but I uh, generally, I, I stay in our series. And, and it's interesting where God has us, he has us in a passage where we pick up from last week in what can sometimes be some of the more challenging parts of Scripture, the genealogies. And the Bible has in different places genealogies where it tells us family trees, family histories. And and generally, if you've ever been on a Bible reading plan where you've maybe been trying to read the New Testament through or maybe read the entire Bible through, if you're like me, sometimes you come to those genealogies and they can be a little boring. I'm just going to be honest. Like it's just a bunch of names and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so and they live for this long and they live for, and I'm like, why do I need to know this? Why is, but we understand the Bible does tell us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And all Scripture has things that it can teach us, and the reality is that there's good reason that God included the genealogies in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and if we stop and study them, we can learn some really cool things, and I've preached before at Christmas time on the lineage of Christ, you can learn some really powerful, helpful, interesting things through the genealogies where we find ourselves. And so, that's one of the benefits of, of a systematic expository approach to preaching that, that we seek to do here for the most part is walking through a book verse by verses. We study everything. We don't skip any passages. We don't skip any chapters. And so, we find ourselves here in what sometimes we might consider a a boring or maybe an unnecessary passage, I hope we'll learn some things. And I want you this morning, I want you to see two different family trees and the way the choices of two different fathers affected their families for generations. 
And I want you to take inventory in your life, biologically, physically, and spiritually, with those you're influencing, and ask yourself, what kind of influence am I leaving? What kind of impact am I making? First up, the first family tree, I'd like you to see if you have your Bibles. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to um, grab one. There should be one in the pew rack in front of you, or if you're sitting in one of the front rows, the pew rack right behind you. And I always, every Sunday, encourage folks to follow along for themselves. I think if there's any power in anything that I say today, it's in the power of the Word of God. And I think you'll get more out of it if you see it for yourself. We are going to look at a good bit of Scripture this morning by way of introduction, and then I'm just going to give us two takeaways, two applications, and then we're going to be on our way. So by way of introduction, I want you to see these two family trees. Beginning in chapter 4, verse number 16, we left off in verse 15 last Sunday morning. Verse 16, the Bible says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. Cain has just been confronted by God. He's just been judged for murdering his brother Abel. And he's going out. He's on the east of Eden, verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Erod, and Erod begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So this is the entire family tree, seven generations, it's all we know about the family history of Cain. We learn a few things from this, a couple of things that we learn. One is, there were two names there, I think, in generations three and four, or two and three, that the suffix of the name was L, E-L. What that shows us as you study names, and a lot of times today, we will just sometimes pick names um, because we like them or they sound nice. We, we picked Ashlyn because we thought it was a pretty name, and Annalise didn't really have any significance to our family history. We just liked the name. And, and, and so sometimes we'll do that. Well, very often in the Bible, they pick names for, for their meanings. And that suffix at the end of those names, El, is a reference to Elohim, to God. And so what we see is, in Cain, this, this really wicked family lineage, Cain, this father, in fact, you go to the New Testament, it talks about the way of Cain, was, Cain was not a good guy, murdered his brother, was not following after God, did not turn around and begin. But even in that family, for at least a generation or two or three, there was some knowledge, some reference of God. Now that dies out because we see with Lamech, a, a couple generations later, we see the introduction of bigamy. The first, the first attack on God's first institution. God's institution that he established, we've already seen it, of marriage, a man and a woman, which by the way is the biblical definition of marriage. It's what God instituted. And that first attack, it's still the, the institution, the God-ordained institution of marriage is still under attack today, but it first came under attack through Cain's family. He took two wives, bigamy, going against God's plan that we see from the very beginning there. We see that the, so there was some knowledge of God, but it was really not much of a priority. Another thing we see here is there was some success work-wise, career-wise with his children. They were some pioneers in their fields. 
The Bible says it was the father of basically livestock and agriculture. He began, one of the sons uh, was working in that, and so there was some success in those generations. Another one of the sons, it said, was one with music. He was the father of the harp and the organ. Now, I don't believe they used that music for God's glory, but, but he had some success in the music industry, if you will. He was really kind of the father of it there. And then the next one was success in metalworking and really construction. So we have descendants of Cain that are having some earth success. They're, they're the fathers of kind of these industries. And what we see then at verse 20, and it really ends with great pride, Lamech lifts up his voice and comes home to his two wives and said, I killed a guy today because he tried to hurt me. Uh, and he said, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, that goes back to last week's passage. He said, Lamech, 70 and sevenfold, look at who I am. It was really about pride and self-interest. And that's the last we hear of Cain's family in all of Scripture. They die out at the worldwide flood that we'll see next week, next Sunday morning. Um, they, their, their family tree is no longer the end of the story of that family, pride and self-exaltation. I want you to see the next family tree by way of introduction, and then we'll pull out a couple of thoughts. This is the family tree that would take the place of Abel, the brother that was murdered by Cain. Look at verse number 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name. What church? What was the name of the next son? What was it? So now we have Seth, and here's what Eve says, for God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. You see the difference? Just from the beginning, the difference. Cain's children, Involved in earthly pursuits, from the beginning, men began to call in the name of the Lord through this family tree. From the first son there, Seth, really the father, we see a spiritual lineage begin. Verse chapter 5, verse number 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. You're going to stick with me, and let's run through this real quickly. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Notice this, verse 2. This would solve a lot of confusion and problems in 2022 if we just get back to the Bible. Verse 2 male and female created he them. That's how God created us, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam, which means man, lived in 130 years, begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years. He begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Adam were 930 years. Notice the next three words. Would you read them aloud, the last three words of verse 5 with me? Would you read those aloud? Ready, begin. And he, you're going to see that. Uh, theme here. And Seth lived in 105 years, begat Enos. And Seth lived after begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years. What does it say at the end of verse 8, church? And he, and Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years. And what does it say? And he, and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalaleo. I don't know if I said that right. And Ma, I felt like Brother Ryan at VBS. And Mahalaleel, 840 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years. See it again? And he died. And Mahalaleel, <laughs> that's getting worse every time, lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. And him lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all his days were 895 years. And he died. And then Jared begets Enoch. And Jared lives 962 years and dies. And Enoch lives 65 years and begets Methuselah. 
And notice this, verse 22, would you read it aloud with me? Verse 22, ready, begin. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Look at verse 24. And Enoch walked with God. What a testimony. What a lineage. What a heritage. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Notice it didn't say, and he died. There are two people other than, uh, well, our, our Lord Jesus Christ did see death, and then he conquered death. There are two people that have walked on earth, according to Scripture, that never died. Enoch and Elijah. Enoch was translated. The Bible says, and he was not. One, one pastor said it this way, Enoch and, and God were so close that one day they were, they were walking, and, and, Enoch, and God said to Enoch, this is, just a, a, this is not in the Bible, but he said it this way, this picture. He said, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just come home with me? They walked together so closely that God one day just took him home, and he didn't die. And then look at verse number 25. And Methuselah lived in 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. This is a little Bible trivia. Methuselah is the longest living man in the Bible. He lived, uh, in verse 27, 969 years. And Lamech lived in 182 years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and 7, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Of course, Noah is the one that, would, that God would use to be a redeemer of his people, to redeem, to save all of mankind. We'll see that next week. But what do we see? A few things just as we're, we're finishing their introduction, and I'll jump into it, and we'll be on our way. A couple of things we see from here. Number one, I would say this. You see it over and over again, and... He died. This isn't my message, but it's a reminder for all of us. That's going to be all of our stories. We are all going to die one day. And that truth is why it matters so much the decisions we make while we're living. Because life is but a vapor. And pre-flood, people lived much longer than they do today. We don't have 969 years. The Bible says on average we have about 70. And if we get a little bit more than that, that's a blessing. That's an extra blessing from God. And he died. And I want you to understand this morning and to be reminded this morning that all of us will face death. And here's the question, do you know where you're going if and when you die? Because if God, if Christ does not return in our lifetimes as we sung about today, we will all face a physical death, but far worse than a physical death is a spiritual death that we will face if we do not know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And so my challenge to you this morning is to really ponder and consider, do I know where I'm going when I die? But what else do we see from this family history? We see throughout, we see people with that L suffix uh, um, throughout his history. We see Enoch, five generations. Enoch walking with God. We see that Cain's, Cain's heir, Lamech, lived for selfish pleasure, violence, and sin. Abel, or I'm sorry, Seth, also had a son named Lamech. 
Do you see the difference? They both named sons. They had sons down there in their family tree, same name. One was a bigamist that lived for himself, was was angry, violent man, prideful man. The other one was the one that God would use to bring the man into the world who we call Noah, the one we call Noah's Ark, the one that the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, A, a spiritual giant, a man that trusted God when everyone around him made fun of him, a man, this is seven generations later. And Seth's family tree is still following God, walking after God, being used of God in mighty ways. A picture, by the way, Noah and the ark is a picture of Jesus Christ, a man that that you and I are here physically speaking because of the wonderful son that Lamech raised for God's glory. Next Sunday we'll see more about that, but do you see the difference between the two family trees? Same parents, Adam and Eve. Same parents, same upbringing, undoubtedly same lessons learned, same teaching, but two sons that chose to do very different things, and not only did it impact their lives, but it impacted their family trees for generations. And those of us that are parents, I want us to understand the, the, this thing of, of raising kids is not just a trial run, it's not just for fun, they're not just fashion accessories for us to get a lot of likes on Snapchat or Instagram and look at our cute family. These are eternal souls that will never die. Far more important than any earthly success, how are we doing in bringing them up in the nurture and then the admonition of God? I want you to see one more place, and you've stuck with me, and we're going to look at this passage. I want you to turn with me over to Luke in chapter number 3. Luke in chapter number 3. Today is a longer introduction than normal because we needed to see all of that Scripture, but I want you to see the end of the story of this family tree. Luke in chapter number 3. I want you to see the end of Seth's family tree. The third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter number 3. Again, another one of these. Luke 2 is the famous Christmas story. If your family, like ours, is in the habit of reading the Christmas story before you open presents on Christmas Day, I've told our church, number one, don't read the whole thing. The kids don't care, okay? Just read a few verses. Let them get to their presents. They're not listening anyways. All right, I made that mistake. But Luke 2 is a Christmas story. We come to Luke 3, and again, it's one of those, man, this is a boring chapter. What am I going to do with this chapter? But when you stop and really study it, the characters and the lessons that you can pull out are, are many. Luke in chapter number three, three, for a few, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, I'm going to read just three or four verses. Look at verse number 23, if you will. Verse number 23, Luke 3, verse 23, where it begins, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, he's about to begin his public ministry, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Matthat, which was the son of Levi. So it's going on, and it's giving us where, where Jesus, humanly speaking, came from through his father's lineage there, through Joseph. Now, would you skip down for the sake of time, down to verse number 36, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sem, which was the son of Noe, which is Noah, which was the son of Lamech which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Malael, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, here it is, which was the son of who, church? Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. The son of God, Adam, that was used in his lineage, his son Seth, to bring forth in his family tree the only begotten Son of God. Cain made a decision to live for self, to live for sin, 
to live for pleasure, to do things his own way. Cain made a decision to live for what he could get out of this life, and his family tree is full of wickedness, and it ends after seven generations. Seth decided, and with Seth, men began to call on the name of the Lord. With Seth, he decided to make God the priority in his family. And through there, we see all the way down to Noah, the first redeemer, if you will. Uh, you have Moses and others, but you have Noah, that, that, that one that, that redeemed mankind through the flood. And then we see eventually Jesus Christ through that. Adam, the original son of God, would have that family tree that would lead all the way to Jesus, the only begotten son of God, and it came through his son, Seth. I want to give you two takeaways, and we'll get the kids. Number one, a reminder this morning. Parents, it's possible to pass down good things and miss passing down the best thing. It's possible to pass down good things and miss passing down the best thing. On some level, some of his kids decided to name, put El in the name, Elohim. And what we see is they had earthly success. Father of agriculture, livestock, father of music, they brought that in, father of, of, of uh, metalworking and construction, and there's nothing wrong with those. We need good, godly Christians in every one of those fields and every other field. Nothing wrong with that. Their kids excelled in certain areas, but nowhere in all of that we see they are the father, the first ones in these industries. But what do we see about Seth? It, it, it says it was here that they first began to call on the name of the Lord. We see nothing in Cain's lineage, nothing in Cain's family tree about worship of God, about living for God, about doing right before God. Nowhere were the spiritual things a spiritual priority. They were worldly successes. But if we study in context the New Testament about the life of Cain and his family, they were heavenly failures. How are we doing in our families? What is the priority in our families? Are, are, are they earthly or eternal priorities in our homes and in our families? It was, it was with Seth's family that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. By the fifth generation of Cain, we have bigamy, anger, pride, and murder. By the fifth generation of Seth, we see Enoch passing, passionately pursuing God in such a great way that he didn't see death. Do you see the difference of their family trees? What a contrast. It's amazing how one decision of who you're going to follow can change a family history. One decision, Cain, to murder your brother can change a family for generations. One decision, parents, of our priorities can change our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. How do I know that? My family's lived it. Some of you know my testimony. I was born out of wedlock. My mom and dad were never married. My, my dad was 21 in the Navy in Northern California. My mom was, I, I think, just about to turn 22 when she had me. I have a good relationship with my dad, but he never lived a day in our home. We, we, we communicate regularly. We spent a week with him in Florida this summer. I'm not bitter or angry at my dad, but, but he was never there. I, I did not have the tra traditional family. was not born into a Christian home. For 50% of my child-rearing years of being in my mom's home, there was nothing spiritual whatsoever. There was no Bible, no Bible stories. I remember going to church twice uh, in the first nine years, the first half of my life in my mom's home, and both of those were my grandma taking me on a Christmas Eve service um, to, a, I think, a Presbyterian church, if I remember correctly, in Santa Clara, and I don't know where the second one was. 
I knew nothing about Scripture. I knew nothing about any of those things. And there were no generations of my immediate family when I was born who were believers and serving God. And I don't say this to boast. This is all the grace of God in my life, but it's an illustration of the power of the decisions that parents can make. This morning, there are four generations of my family sitting in Bible-preaching churches in the state of California that, that have been there now for 34 years, for three-plus decades. My mom is in church, in her home church where I was saved where my wife, my, my father-in-law is the pastor in Northern California. She's in church there this morning. She'll come home from church, and she calls it Lunch and Liberty, and she'll eat lunch and turn on our service this morning, and she'll hear me giving this. I think she's our only live stream viewer. She watches every Sunday. <laughs> and, and, and our lives forever change. We did, my, we did a 180. Why? Because my mom, that just as a 20-year-old trying to figure out how to, how to provide for a single boy with working two and three jobs and an only child and, and no help, and really at that time, her mom lived in Indiana, didn't have any immediate family around, had come from Florida at the age of 18, had left home and come out to, to California, 3,000 miles away from family, didn't know what she was doing, and like most 20-year-olds in our society, was a good mom but would do whatever she could to spend some time with friends, and, and I remember the parties, and I remember kegs at the house, and I remember our roommate getting arrested for growing marijuana before it was legal in, in, in the bedroom, and I remember some of those things happening in our homes. We had no, no knowledge of God. We had no knowledge of those things, but today, not because of who I am or who she is, but because of who God is and what He did in our lives, our lives are forever changed. Her grandchildren know a completely different life, Lord willing, now as we have a 20-year-old and almost an 18-year-old, if God brings spouses into their homes and their children, her great-grandchildren will know far different life than, than she knew and that really I knew the first half of my time in her home. Why? Because one person decided to accept an invite from a coworker who invited her to join her to church. By the way, never underestimate the power of inviting somebody to join you in church. My mom's coworker invited us, hey, Bobby, would you bring your nine-year-old son? And it was that Sunday morning that I heard the gospel of Christ for the first time. And it was that Sunday morning, I don't know why, but my mom decided to, God began to do a work in her heart, and she decided we're going to make a change in our home, and we're going to, it was a process of grace and God working, but we're going to get rid of some things out of the fridge, and we're going to stop smoking some of those things, and we're going to start doing this, and when the church doors are open, we're going to be there. I'm going to get an extra job and sacrifice so I can put my, my son into the Christian school in sixth grade, and, and she figured out a way to, to get me into the Christian school, and I figured out a way to get myself kicked out of the Christian school in ninth grade, and she put me back in the Christian school in tenth grade, and, 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 and I don't know how or why, but one lady's decision changed generations of a family. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what direction you're headed. But it matters. The, the choices you're making, the direction you're headed is going to impact your family for generations. Parents, what you do matters in relation to your family tree. What priority, I want us to think about this this morning, what priority does God have in our homes? Is education more important than their spiritual development? Is their athletic development more important than their spiritual development? You can say no, but take a look at your schedule. Take a look at where you're spending your money. I'm not trying to be that pastor that gives you the guilt trip, but I am trying to speak openly and honestly. 
is, is, is extracurricular things and this, this hobby and this habit and this scholarship, and I'm not against any of those things, but are they taking priority over our, our Christian priority? Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. Our kids need more than just a week at VBS parents. They need 52 weeks in a Bible-preaching church family and 365 days in a home where parents put God first. And if that's not your story, it wasn't mine either. Make the necessary changes now before it's too late. I'm glad my mom chose to do a 180 when she was exactly 50% done, or I guess a little over 50% done raising me. It changed everything in our family tree. Number one, it's possible to pass down good things and miss passing down the best thing. Number two, one family tree pointed to the Savior and continued for hundreds of generations. The other pointed to self and ended after seven generations. Thousands of years of worldwide impact versus hundreds of years of selfish pursuits. And again, you might say, my children have chosen a different path, or I don't have any children. Ask yourself, if we keep going down this path, what's my family, spiritual family tree going to look like? Who am I investing in, in the next generation? Who am I leading to Christ? Who am I discipling? Who am I working with? Who am I helping along the way, helping them to grow? Ask yourself, church family, is your family primarily about pleasing God and pursuing His plan? or primarily about pleasing self and pursuing your dreams, your passions, your pleasures. I'll say that one more time. Is your family primarily about pleasing God and pursuing His plan, or primarily about pleasing self and pursuing your dreams, your passions, your pleasures? Here's the truth. In Orange County, it in some ways kind of magnifies this. We spend so much time and money on things that aren't going to matter in eternity. And God takes a back seat in our homes. Maybe you put your kids in VBS because a friend invited you or you just needed a cheap babysitter and you can't really beat 25 bucks for 15 hours. But maybe God had a bigger plan. Maybe it just wasn't about your kids having some fun. Maybe this week was a week that God would use to change your family tree. That God would do a work in your kids' lives or that God would do a work in your life. And you would be honest and say, God isn't the priority he should be in our home and we're going to make some changes. We're going to make some differences. And, and I can't choose what direction, what path my kids go, but I can choose the direction that I lead them toward as they leave my home. They have sin nature and they have a free will. I don't know all the decisions they'll make. But I do know I can choose the home they grow up in and the priority God has in that home. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. Like Seth, it said, they be, then man bega, men began to call in the name of the Lord. You've never called on the name of the Lord. And God wants to save you this morning and change your entire family tree. By the way, it doesn't take long to change a family tree. I see several families sitting here that their family really had very little spiritual priority a year or two or three ago, and today everything is different. For our family, it was pretty quick, and really you get to about 30 years, and now we're moving into probably in the next decade another generation being added, and one that I hope that, that our children will lead their children to know and love God. It doesn't take long. It was only 34 years ago in my family tree that we began to call in the name of the Lord. God can change you and your entire family. I close with a question that I asked at the beginning of the message. With the decisions you're making today, and the direction you're leading your family, what will your family tree look like in two, three, or four generations? Some this morning may need to decide to accept Christ as Savior. Others may need to decide to put God where He belongs as the top priority of your family. 
Parents, what you do matters. So going back to the initial statement, if the apple falls close to your tree, how devoted to God will your grandchildren be? If the apple falls close to your tree, how devoted to God will your grandchildren be? What will they know of Christ? Or to go back to the progressive ad campaign, if your children turn into their parents, what will their Christianity look like? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? If your children turn into their parents, what will their Christianity look like? Let's allow the answers to those questions change the ways that we live and lead our families. Two very different family trees from the same parents, Adam and Eve. Why were they very different? Because of the direction and the decisions that Cain made for his family and that Seth made for his. Let's take inventory and truly ask ourselves, if we keep going down the path that my wife and I are leading our family, where where will our children and grandchildren be if they follow us? We can't guarantee they're going to follow us. They have to choose that for themselves. God has to do a work in their hearts. But if they do follow us, where's that going to lead them? Parents, I hope we had a lot of fun this week, but even more than that, I hope we stop, take inventory, and really think about the work we're doing. These are not just temporary residents in our home. They're eternal souls that will live forever in heaven or hell and will receive the reward for that which they've done in this life. It's a big task that we have. And I'll be honest, having raised two that have now graduated and another one about to graduate, we've had five kids, it's a bigger task than I can do in my own wisdom in my own strength. I need God, and I need his word, and I need his spirit, and it's bigger than us. We need him to get a hold of their lives, and I hope that we'll take inventory and really stop and think, have we let some things get out of whack? If we're that casual with the things of God, what are our children going to do? Where's that going to lead them? And really think about those things in our lives. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to open it and to preach this morning. I pray all of us would ponder How is our spiritual family tree looking? And God, if there's anybody in here this morning that does not know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they change their entire eternity by placing their faith and trust in you alone. For those of us that do know you as Savior, God, maybe we've let the cares of this world or the the pressures of our, 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 our career work ladder, climbing that ladder of our career success, or maybe the pressures of society and peers of having our children try to excel in every one of these areas while they're failing spiritually. God, help us to see those priorities, and if needed, to make some changes in our family schedules in our family priorities, in our family budgets, to make some changes, to say no to some maybe good things so that we don't miss the best things. Because it's possible, like Cain, we can pass down some good things and miss passing down the best thing. Lord, some of us might need to say no to some things that are not bad in our lives, they're good, but they're keeping us from that which is the best, the priority that you might have the preeminence in our lives and in our homes. Help all of us, dear God, to remember that except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain when we try to build it. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.